I'm Dr. Tanya Raquel. Welcome to Whiteness Interrupted. I believe we have to collectively disrupt and interrupt our whiteness and that it will have consequences. We must choose to have resolved that it is absolutely worth it. We don't have time to wait another day. So let's begin now. This podcast is an interview that I conducted with Mr. Courtney White. Courtney is a physical educator and department chair in the Chicagoland area. He is also a black male who is teaching in a predominantly white school where the majority of teachers are also white with the student enrollment being 30 to 40% uh, students of color within the district. He shares his experience of becoming an equity facilitator and what that process has been like for him. Moreover, he talks about how we can reimagine schools to being a more inclusive and supportive space for black and brown children. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, Brave Souls. I'm Dr. Tanya Raquel and your host on Whiteness Interrupted. I'm excited and a bit nervous for our interview today because our guest is Courtney White. He is a physical education department chair, a seeking educational equity and diversity facilitator called SEED. SEED equips participants to connect our lives to one another and to society at large by acknowledging systems of oppression, power, and privilege. And also our guest today is my beloved partner for life, my spouse. Courtney, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Please join me in welcoming Courtney to the show. Welcome, my love. Hello, welcome, thank you. So I wanna start our conversation with the way that I'm going to start every podcast uh, with the question, what are some of the moments or experiences that have paved the way for you to become who you are today? Wow, there's, there are a lot of moments and experiences, but I, I have to owe all of my ability and success to get to where I am in, in this society to the, to the work and the, and the dues that my parents paid. Um, they put a lot of time and effort into trying to climb the, the social economic ladder and also uh, avoid the pitfalls um, that, that blacks uh, definitely do in our society, especially back in the 50s and 70s and definitely 80s. So I'm, I'm standing on their shoulders, um, mm-hmm. standing on the shoulders of all my, my ancestors who had to fight a lot of, a lot of really bad stuff uh, for me to be where I am today. And um, I definitely give give uh, honor to, to all of them. And no doubt that you you specifically also allow me to be uh, who I am. So I appreciate you for that. Mm, thank you. Are there some moments in particular that you remember that really stood out to you that you recognize the sacrifices that your parents and or grandparents made uh, for you in this moment of time? Well, of course, yeah. My, I've, I've told the story a number of times. My mom, who grew up in Alabama during Jim Crow, right? She's a product of Jim Crow. And I always think about the fact that she was a, always a brilliant woman. I think she graduated high school early, I believe. Um, and she was not going to be able to go to college if it weren't for the generosity of a white man who gave my grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, money to send her to to school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those types of things um, that were outside of her control um, allowed her to be who she was before she, you know, before she passed away. 
Uh, I think I don't think like that. My father, who grew up in uh, Washington State, which was Spokane, Washington, which is Eastern Washington, by no means diverse, <laughs> by no means, by no means uh, uh, progressive, if you will, um, basically had to go into ROTC and into the military uh, to be able to to move on and move up, uh, move up, be upwardly mobile. Uh, otherwise, it wasn't going to happen. It was uh, to the factories uh, for him. That was the case. Uh, and there was going to be a whole lot of op options for a black male in the 60s and the, at that point. So uh, those experiences and those those uh, sacrifices of, of my parents and of the, the white man that helped pay for my mom to go to get to school, I, I totally, totally value and I keep it in the back of my mind. Um, and I there, there, there are so many experiences that, that I have as a lived experiences that I have that I could I could share. I don't think we had that that kind of time. Is there anything specific directly that you want me to kind of talk about about my racial experiences or those that paved the way to be for me to be where I am? Yeah, just um, some of the experiences that stick out for you as really resonating um, that led you to this moment of time in 2021. Well. I've had a lot of racial experiences growing up, right? I grew up a military brat. Um, and, you know, we didn't move around a lot. I think we were fairly fortunate that we didn't have to do a whole lot of, of moving, but we did move. Um, and the places that we did go, um, my brother, sister, and I were one of few, if or possibly the only uh, black children um, in, our, in our schools that we attended. And you know, that, that shapes who you are. Right, that prevents you from having experiences with your fellow uh, black children in, in schools. And so I didn't really get to a school with a significant number of black students until I got to high school, you know, 15, 14, 15 years old, until I had that experience. And as a result, I think I dealt with some significant racism um, as being one of the very few, uh, one of the only. Uh, black kids in my class and their classes and didn't understand they didn't realize it until I got a little bit older or I got around uh, got to a school where there, was, there were more uh, students that looked like me um, and those types of experiences decreased a little bit they're still there but they decreased a little bit um, so as far as talking about skin color right um, talking about somebody a white student being tan and trying to be see if trying to compare their tan to my skin color. Those types of experiences uh, tend to build up, tend to add up, and, and, and I think wreck the psyche of, of young black students. Um, those types of experiences, those types of comments are, are um, harmful. Mm -hmm. And so I have, the, I have the opportunity in my current school district to become a seat facilitator, which allowed me to not only help my fellow colleagues in my school district um, hear others' experiences, and start to evaluate their own experiences and their own behaviors um, moving forward, uh, but hopefully also move towards helping our students see that their behaviors, um, racial behaviors, sexual behaviors, um, gender behaviors, um, all affect those in, in other groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so transitioning a bit, can you share your experiences of moving into racial equity and education I know now you're a department chair um, and leading within your district in racial equity. Can you share some of those experiences you've had? The experiences of getting into it or experiences I've had as I've been in it? 
Um, Let's start with you getting into it. So, well, gosh, we've been doing it for six years. So so six years ago, um, which would have been my 18th, 19th year in education, um, my current school district was having some equity initiatives moving forward. And specifically, they wanted to they want to increase the number of teachers of color in the district to start to um, look like the the student enrollment that we have in our in our district. Uh, currently, as a district, there's two high schools in my district. We have about thirty to forty percent students of color mm-hmm. in our district, um, but yet our teaching staff is ninety five percent white. Uh, so our goal is to try and get our teaching staff to somewhat mirror our our student body. Um, and as a result, I was on the, the diversity committee, which, which is looking to recruit um, teachers of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same, on the same track, we are also trying to work on doing some diversity initiatives in our district uh, to, to make sure that our teachers are not only instructing uh, their classes, but instructing their classes through an equity lens, right? Trying to make sure that their, their curriculum, our curriculum, I should say, um, are inclusive of all. Um, and, and everybody in there because we know that we all bring our experiences into our instruction yep. right? it's, it's inevitable we're, we're all going to do it um, the unfortunate thing is you know we have a, a largely white um, largely white middle class teaching staff um, and we have a growing uh, segment of, of students of color and no doubt that they're all going to have different experiences um, and so when you typically have a curriculum that's taught and directed through the white lens uh, a lens of a white person growing up and, and seeing how they see their content through a white lens, um, you're going to probably miss some students there. So as being on the committee to bring, bring equity in, um, I was on the committee to, to bring seed into our district. Um, I, I, I actually wanted a different, a different strand, but we ended up with seed uh, in one of the facilitators uh, because it, it was work that I think was important, um, but I also realized that you know, as a as a one of the very few people of color in the school district, and this really shouldn't be my job to, <laughs> to take people through this stuff, mm-hmm. right? It would be our, my job to take the white white people in my in my district through these these lessons. But somebody's got to do it, and I've stepped up. Uh, there are three other women in our in the district that are my my co facilitators mm-hmm. that have stepped up. Two of them are white. One of them is uh, uh, Pakistani Muslim, um, and I, I think we work well together. So. It's been interesting to say the least. We've had a lot of people, we've been doing it for five years, I think it's our sixth year, uh, we've seen in our district. And the people that have signed up have signed up because they wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. With that being said, there have been very few of our white males mm-hmm. that have gone through the process. Mm-hmm. And when we left my seed facilitator training five years ago, um, one of the things they said was, good luck getting the white men to sign up. Yeah. And it's pretty much been that way, right? We have very, we have had, we had some, don't get me wrong, we've had some, mm-hmm. um, but we have very few uh, of our white, white male teachers, white male staff members sign up for seed. Mm-hmm. Why that is, I don't, well, I can make a, I can make a few guesses on why that is, but right. Um, right. I don't, uh, don't want to make assumptions for anybody on why they're not signing up. Uh, there could be other reasons, you know, that they're not signing up for it, but um, that segment of our, our staff, are lacking in our in our in our um, <clears throat> excuse me in our cohorts. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it, it makes me think about to this point, um, you shared, you know, people were coming forward and signing up and then how the seed instruction and workshops may look or feel different when people begin to be mandated to to do this diversity and equity work. Yeah, it, well, here's the thing. We have, a, we have a lot of professional development strands in our district that are required. Mm-hmm. This is not one of the ones that is required. It is highly, strongly encouraged. Mm-hmm. but it's not required. So in the end, eventually we're going to get to the point where the only people that haven't taken seed are the ones that are probably resisting taking seed. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to end up with a, a groups of largely white, white male groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to end up with largely white groups. Well, it's always largely white groups because they're probably only about 10 or 10 or so uh, people of color in our district. Um, largely white groups that have resisted doing this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, we're, we're going to get there eventually, and they're going to look different. And it's already difficult to do this type of work when you don't have a homogenous group, mm-hmm. right? Or, excuse me, a heterogeneous group. Yep, yep. Um, they're very homogenous, um, which makes it difficult for us to really have, or for us to really share experiences of people of color Right. So white participants can really get that aha moment type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so usually when I'm when I'm when I'm facilitating, I share my personal stories because a lot of times I've been the only person of color in in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, I don't see myself as a racial educator, but I certainly hold space for diversity and equity work and, and talk about race and when you were talking about it really not being your responsibility as one of the only or few black males um, in your district and in your school building to be walking white people through our work. Um, you and I have talked about how for me um, wanting to be engaged in the work and then also receiving the critique that I may be leading these experiences out of my own whiteness. And so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit of the nuance of that, of, you know, how do you reimagine that white identifying as well as black indigenous persons of color um, come together in, in leading this work together in a unity? Well, one thing that we try and do the four of us, the four of us seed facilitators, um, is that when we do talk about race, when we get into our race discussions, mm-hmm. uh, we try and make sure that either myself or um, the other woman of color um, are one of the two facilitators, right? We have one white facilitator and one facilitator of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, mainly so that myself and my, my other uh, facilitator of color aren't the two introducing race. Yeah. Right. But we find it really important that the two, at least the other two white people, are are there or doing it together and introducing race as as uh, that topic, um, because then you're always dealing with uh, all right. Well, here are the people of color telling us that we're bad, right? You, you always get that that uh, that response, mm-hmm. um, and it's, and the same goes for when we talk about sex and gender, right? Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about male privilege and we're talking about maleness. Um, I'm the one there talking about, hey, we got a problem, guys, right? This is our issue. We need to address this. Um, and not two women that are facilitating that, that discussion. So that's how we try and work it out so that there's some, some uh, legitimacy to what we're trying to say. 
um, and that they can see that, yes, these two white women realize that racism is a thing and it's our thing and white privilege, white privilege is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just to, to uh, people of color saying, hey, you have white privilege and all of a sudden we're back to the whole, you know, they're, they deny it, we're saying it's real um, and it, we're kind of, kind of stuck. So I, I, I find myself trying and outside of seed and in other discussions in the building resisting sharing in conversations regarding equity, regarding race, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I can share all day, right? I've got 48 years of experience in it. What I want to see is my white colleagues sharing more, mm-hmm. asking questions, doing the work. And some I see doing it, others I see sitting back and either listening or refusing to participate. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to continually be that person constantly sharing out and talking when they're not trying. Right, right. Yeah, we white identifying people have to get uncomfortable and um, get engaged for sure. You and I have talked about that a lot. We've also talked about um, education in terms of it being, you know, a lot of teachers are white. Um, You and I have talked about um, how hard it is to recruit black educators, black male educators um, in your district and other districts, and how important that is for representation of all, for all students, not just students of color. Uh, could you talk a little bit how you see or feel educators like yourself and others can reimagine education to better support all students, but in particular black and brown students? How can we reimagine education? Yeah, to be more supportive of black and brown students? Well, I honestly, I think you got to get more black and brown teachers in the mm-hmm. classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a data point uh, recently that I, I can't remember right where I got it from. Um, but, but black and brown teachers tend to have higher expectations of black and brown students, right? Uh-huh. So if that is in fact the case, and then the fact that that, that data point is true, what is that saying about our 88% white teaching um, teaching profession right now, right? There's a lack of of expectation. There's a lack of of uh, <laughs> belief in those people, in those students of color that they can be successful, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we need to get more people of color in education in the education field. As a result, they need to have positive educational experiences, right? right? If I had a negative educational experience, why the heck would I want to become a teacher? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yep. I, I would be as far away from that as possible. So mm-hmm. we've got to be able to get the schools that majority of our black and brown students are, are going through in their primary schooling. We've got to make sure that those are positive experiences that, that they're having, regardless of where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. That they have a positive educational experience so they can see the benefit of it. So they can see it as a, a, as a viable profession to get into and then also um, try and reach back and, and give that to, the, to those coming behind them. Um, a lot of the issues that we're finding on, on finding black men specifically in, in education, at least in the Chicago area, is there aren't a lot of us. Yeah. Right? When you look at the you know, overall you know, statistics, uh, statistic wise, excuse me, there aren't a lot of us. So when all of these white schools, like the one I'm in, are really trying to find the black, the black teachers to get <laughs> staff. What you end up doing is you end up pulling from one school to another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the pool just keeps moving around. It's not really growing by any means. So, um, and I, I saw the same data point that I, I re- referenced earlier 
uh, showed that large, the large majority of black male educators are in the South. Okay. Uh, somewhere up to 70 or 80 percent, somewhere along those lines. Um, and which makes sense because I think, I think there's a larger percentage of, of African Americans in the South. Um, so that makes it difficult for us uh, Midwestern schools to really try and diversify if they can. Mm-hmm. It puts more pressure on us to say, hey, the kids we have in, in class, the kids we have in our building, why not education as a viable as a viable profession? Right, right. You know, you also have me thinking about uh, Bettina Love's work of this idea of spirit murdering and that we white educators in particular may be doing the spirit murdering of black and brown children in schools. Um, you know, thinking of like character education and how whitewashed education is. I'm wondering if there were any advice that you would give to what identifying educators um, into, into being more supportive of black and brown students in their schools? Well, the first thing is they gotta, they gotta do some work on themselves, mm-hmm. you know, just do the inventory on their own experiences, right? If you don't have really any experiences with black and brown people and understanding their experiences in this society, mm-hmm. you can't possibly be a, a champion for them. You can't possibly understand what the experiences that they go through. When they come into your class, you might think your classroom is safe and uh, a safe environment and somewhere where they can feel comfortable. But bottom line is they're coming into a room where they're probably the only student of color in there. And they don't know you from Adam. Yes, you're this very nice person smiling in my face and being nice to me. But we get that 100 million times a day. Yeah. Right. Followed followed by sharp looks and snide remarks (laughs) and Mm -hmm. low expectations. Type of thing. Um, so you got to do the work. You got to you got to talk about your own whiteness and what that means. You got to talk about the fact that our you got to accept the fact that our society is, is designed not only to be separated by race, even though it, it's illegal, quote unquote, to be separated by race, but it's also separated by sex and gender and religion. Mm-hmm. Right? There are dominant groups in the in this society that have power. And that power means something, whether you agree with it or not, whether you buy into it or not, uh, whether you can even see it or not, doesn't make a difference. It's there. And you got to understand that there's, there's a, a steeper hill to climb regardless for those students and be ready to do some equity work. And as you said, you, you referenced Patina Love, be ready to be a, a co-conspirator, right? Put something online, risk something for, for those students, right? Yeah. If, that, if that means giving some extra time and attention to the black and brown students in your in your class, um, which takes away from some time and attention from some of the white wealthy privileged students, mm-hmm. you're going to hear from those white wealthy privileged parents. Yep. Be prepared to 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 risk whatever might come your way uh, for those students. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be risks for sure. Well, and I don't even like. There's consequences. Um, there's consequences. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a piece of giving up our whiteness, of saying, no, uh, this is what equity looks like. And there is plenty of spaces for our white identifying children and um, white skinned people like me and this world. So thank you. Um, thank you for all of the work you're doing. So I'd like to transition and ask a question that I will ask all the guests of our podcast. Um, What are some of the reasons that you find it important we collectively continue to interrupt whiteness? 
Well, that's the only way we're going to be able to change the power dynamic in, in this country. Um, although race is, is a significant issue and problem in our in our society, um, it really comes down to power and class, right? There are a lot of I don't want to say lower class. There are a lot of a lot of white people in the classes that don't have power mm-hmm. that don't understand or realize that they're being taken advantage of by those that are in power, uh, those that that have wealth, those that have the access to change the system. Um, and if we don't if we don't wake up, mm-hmm. uh, those of us who don't have the power or the the enough power to to affect change, then this is going to continue to happen. And we're going to be continually divided uh, because eventually they're going to say, well, you know, the, the the achievement gap is still happening. So something's going on with our black and brown kids. But well, the reality is there, there, there is that achievement gap. It is there, but it's, it, it's an economic thing, right? It's a power thing. And there's also an achievement gap for low-income white students as well. Mm-hmm. So, But not, we're not talking about that. <laughs> we're not bringing that up as, as, a, as a huge issue. Um, so if we, if we really want to talk about the economics and the power structure that we have in our society, we, we've got to address that. And we've got to see that we're all being fleeced uh, by this. And that's, all, that's the only way change is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're reminding me of all these forms of oppression, how they're all so intricately intersected with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, intersectionality is a, is, a, is a thing that we talk about in seed. Um, it gets our, our participants to really understand that they may have privilege in one identity, but uh, they may be uh, disadvantaged in another, right? Mm-hmm. And where those, how that falls and how that lies, how a white woman who, because she's a woman, um, has certain disadvantages, but also is higher on the totem pole because she is white versus her uh, black female counterpart, right? Yeah. Uh, her, her, uh, I don't know, femaleness or womanness, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, um, has more power and privilege as a white woman than her counterpart, same job, same position, same education level, who happens to be black. Yep. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, those power structures are, are have been set up, uh, have been set up in ways that, that people don't want to give up what they have, but they understand that it's wrong that somebody else doesn't have it. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big critiques of white women and white feminists in particular is that we focus so much on gender equity without realizing the ways that we oppress our fellow women of color, uh, transgender women. Um, So, yeah, we have so much work to do. Thank you so much. It's been um, awesome to have you on the show. I'd like to end with some quick questions without follow-ups or interruptions. (laughs) You're not going to be used to that. Um, But if that's cool with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, What keeps you up at night? Well, I have a hard time going to sleep. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I don't don't fall asleep right away. You know that. so I a lot of things race through my head. I always think about the next day and how I'm going to address my classes and address my kids, mm-hmm. my students, I should say. Teachers call students their kids. I don't know if anybody's aware of that, but it's always my kids, my kids, my kids, not my biological kids, my, my kids in the class sitting in front of me. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to address them. How am I going to get them to where I, they need to be by the end of the, end of the school year? Uh, that keeps me up. Uh, financial, financial things always keep me up. Got to think about that. Um, and also my own children, my own biological children, uh, always keep me up at night. And I think about who they're going to become, 
uh, am I doing a good job trying to get them to who they, they should become in our society? Mm-hmm. What brings you joy? I have the opportunity to come home to an awesome family, and I'm, I'm pretty darn blessed to be able to, to be able to do that. I got great kids, although the youngest one's going to test me. But I got two great kids and an awesome, awesome wife um, that, that support me in everything that I, that I do. Mm-hmm. On the last day of your earthly life, and you meet your maker of the universe, if you believe there is one, what are you toiling for her to say to you? Your mom is over there. Go talk to her. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Courtney, for sharing your time, your experiences, and your energy with us today. No problem. Thank you. All right. Awesome. So before we close today, I want to thank you all for listening in on the interview with Courtney White. And let's close today with our meditation. So if you're able to in a space where you can get a little bit more comfortable, go ahead and please do that. Go ahead and take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale through your mouth as you continue to reflect on what Courtney had shared with us. Might we recognize that not every child has an access to education? Not only that, not every child walks into a school feeling fully seen and honored. Not all children go into a school and see teachers who are from the same culture, communities, or racial identities as themselves. Might we fight for more representation of our school teachers? so that all children can be in an environment where they feel loved, supported, where they have role models. Go ahead and take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale through your mouth. There is so much work for us to do. Let's continue to interrupt our whiteness and play a part in reimagining a world where all children have the education that they need and deserve. Until next time, thanks for listening on.